Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. We are on the air. This is Thesis. Three, two, one. We are on the air. This is Thesis. Everything is everything. I am your host, Jay Marie. How are y'all doing out there, folks? Hope you're well, and thank you for joining us today. Hope everything's been going pretty smooth for you lately, which is good. I hope, I hope, I hope. Everything's calm on this side. So, uh, I was actually, I watched the movie um, uh, not too long ago, uh, the movie Salt with, um, with uh, Angelina Jolie, right, I think. And, uh, you know, the story is something like, it's pretty freaking amazing. And it's kind of a, a theme that you've probably seen on other movies or other shows. But for those of you who haven't seen it, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping right in, dude. I'm so excited. It's the, uh, yeah, because, you know, pleasantries, whatever. It's the, so the movie, right? The the movie is about, she's like a, an agent of the Soviet Union, right? We talk about the Soviet Union a lot here, the Soviet before Russia had, was part of the Yano, anyhow. Uh, and and it was like she was a, a sleeper, right? Some sort of spy. She was a sleeper. She gets a signal that activates whatever she was trained to do, and her mission gets activated, right? And she was trained since she was a child, and this and that. So the story is, is something like that, right? And it's in modern times. It takes place in modern times. Like she was brought here when she was little, and so... When she was young, they put all this stuff in her. They trained her, whatever the mission or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Y'all probably seen it. And then there's another show. I think it's called The Americans. And uh, and it's similar. Uh, I haven't watched it. Uh, although, I know Dean has told me to watch it all the time. And uh, I got like this big ass list of shows. I'm always asking people for shows. And they give them to me. And, uh, you know... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a busy guy. I'm a busy guy, you know? But it's something like that, you know, where it's like Soviet agents who are here in America. And and so, see, the, the theme of the of this story is, you know, they, they, they blend into society. And do, you know, they're doing their mission or whatever while they're here under the cover of they're just normal folks or whatever, you know? And it sounds like some pretty badass spy shit right there. Because, you know, spy movies, they do that. They infiltrate. And maybe they act like they're somebody else. And they work in the whatever. And they get secrets or whatever, right? So that's sort of like what this story of the Americans is. That's sort of like what the story of Salt is. Salt. Except Salt was like a badass. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't just there. She wasn't just going to go snap some pictures of some top secret shit. Nah, she was going to murk niggas and shit. You know what I'm saying? So, so that was her mission. She was a bad motherfucker. So, you know what I'm saying? So, that theme, right? It's like Hollywood badass spy shit. And, uh, and you know, have you, we've heard of the, we've heard of the, um, saying, right? Like, imitating, what is, oh, wait, wait. Reality imitating art or art, rea uh, imitating reality, like, right? Like Hollywood, like movies re imitating life or life imitating the movies, right? Something like that. It's the, because that's, that's a badass story. Now, as we know, a lot of us, if you are a, a connoisseur of uh, 
the, the cinematics <laughs> of movies and stuff like that, if you're a huge buff of movies and theatrical, you know, Estee, you know that, that um, you know, m when they make movies, they have advisors. You know, they have people that they hire who know what it is that they're making a movie about. If they're making a movie about spies, they hire ex-spies as consultants. If they're making a movie about mobsters, they hire ex-mobsters or current mobs, you know, ex in quotes, right? Or current mobsters as the as consultants, because they, because true, um, like, you know, they want to um, directors and stuff like that. Certain directors and film people want to want to get it as as true, you know, not as true, but as um, as close to reality as possible. No, and you know, some of the the uh, consultants would not like, let's say, in a gangster movie. They would be like, no, no, see, they wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't say it like that. They'd say it like this, you know, forget about it, or whatever, right? Este, and okay, so, so I'm thinking, okay, so in this movie about salt or in the show about the, about the, uh, the Americans, right? Or shit, even in the, uh, oh, shit, for you gamers out there, okay, okay, wait. Um, the theme, right? There's a new game, Cold War. Um, what is it? <laughs> I'm not a gamer. Sorry, guys, but I did see the trailer. So it's uh, one of those games y'all play where y'all shoot each other. <laughs> and but it's called Cold War. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I saw the trailer, and it's like um, uh, some communist shit, right? Infiltrators or whatever. Anyway, it looks freaking amazing. Like I'll watch that movie. You know, like forget the game because I'm not a gamer. I'll watch that fucking movie though. You know what I'm saying? Estee, they have a little clip of, of this guy in black and white, if I remember correctly. I have I saw it a couple weeks ago, but but I saw a little clip earlier when I was doing some research. And um, as a matter of fact, we're going to double check right now um, because, fuck it, let's do it real time, baby. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, Cold War. Medal of, Medal of Honor? Wait. Is it Medal of Honor? I'm not a game. Medal of Honor. Cold War. Cold War. Uh, no, sorry guys. See, live. I don't know shit. Cold War video game. Call of Duty. Eh, nigga said Metal of. What did I say? Metal Gear Solid. Eh, nigga over here. Eh, <laughs> nigga. Metal Gear Solid. Cold War. And like. Google's gonna say, bitch, get the fuck out of here with this shit, nigga. <laughs> Alright, uh, trailer. I need the trailer. I need the trailer. Oh, here it goes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the trailer real quick. Uh, and so just give me a second. Okay, that goes <laughs> to show how much I know about fucking video games. It must have been somewhere else. But anyhow, Cold War, all that shit, right? So we were in the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Uh, which was a Cold War means no fire, no bullets. We're not fighting each other with bullets. But we're spying on each other, and we're we're fighting proxy wars, you know, in Afghanistan or wherever the fuck, right? So the, during that time, spying—I mean, that was the game. I mean, it's always been the game. Information is key in in you know in these nations. You you need to know what's going on, but you need information, right? So you put spies. I mean, we—I'm sure we watch each other still, you know, even with our allies and stuff. We want to know that. We're being told the truth or whatever. We want to see that things are that we put in place are being, uh, you know, whatever, uh, uh, followed, right? 
agreements or whatever. So we put spies. Spy shit has been going on for a long ass time. Now, the theme that we were talking about earlier, this these spies that were put into America, you know, at a young age with missions and, you know, whatever, brainwashed. Like, you know, it's funny because, you know, it... You know how we like to think here, right? We like to step back and look at stuff and analyze it and whatever. And, you know, this this term, conspiracy theory, as they, it gets thrown around a lot and stuff gets labeled conspiracy theory. Now, this theory of... <laughs> this theory of uh, Soviet spies being implanted in, in America, you know, is something that, that has been talked about since since the turn of the of the uh, 20th century you know in the early 19th century okay we'll get to that but this theme this story this conspiracy theory in quotes about Russian agents or spies being implanted with missions that are their sleepers and they don't do whatever until they're called up or whatever right sounds pretty fucking Hollywood sounds pretty spy shit but if you are you know if you like history and you like those kind of things that you know that that sort of stuff is like man it sounds pretty possible sounds pretty possible you know why wouldn't they why wouldn't they try some crazy shit like that i mean the movie black widow wait not not the movie the the girl wait there is a movie i haven't seen it but the girl black widow right the one from the marvel people the avengers she's something like that wait she's not a sleeper but remember how she was trained when she was little or whatever. See, they never really... I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know her backstory. But that whole training thing. And I'm assuming that's probably something, too, because her name is... Uh, is uh, What was it? Some Russian name. <laughs> right? It's that... So, that those, those, those flashbacks that she would have about being trained and whatever and whooped and, and dancing and then trained, whatever. It's that... That's the theme, the same theme that we we're talking about earlier about this training this quote-unquote brainwashing right so this conspiracy theory in quotes when I so instead of saying it all the time when I say this word conspiracy theory I'm gonna put it in quotes because that's what is labeled or I could just say theory whatever this theory about um, about these spies right it's been going on for a minute like dude for a long time because you know how you know, you know, I like to dig in, so we dug in a little bit, right? And uh, it's funny how some things, to me, jump out at me. Because, you know, you get nuggets of, tr you get historical nuggets and nuggets of truth in, in movies and stuff. And, of course, I'm a huge, I do documentaries, you know, audiobooks and, and historical documentaries and stuff. So, I'm getting better and better at retaining information. And what I noticed is... um certain movies throw stuff out there because you know how earlier I was saying they want to be as accurate as possible they want to represent the times and whatever parts of the story as accurate as possible if they're doing a a piece like that right as the soul like in one of my favorite shows you know boardwalk empire it takes place in the 20s and gangsters and bootleggers and uh, you know prohibition and then, F, you know, when the FBI started, J. Edgar Hoover and all that, right? So they throw some of that in there that gives some hints, right? So when I started digging in, because um, I remembered something they were saying on the show, just like one sentence, you know, because it, the J. Edgar Hoover character 
only had several speaking parts. You know, he was he wasn't a main character. He was just a side character in the in in the big scheme of the of the storyline. He just had a small part in like the final season or something. Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, no, not even in the final season. No, my bad. Like in the third or fourth season. Anyhow, that's not important. Um, so when I started digging in, because um, I remember this part of the movie. Um, so there was when they made J. Edgar Hoover. Este, they made him. Uh, Como se dice, chairman or not chairman? Um, uh, he he was the head of the of the newly formed FBI, but back then it was just a it was just a, a bureau of investigation. So. B.I. <laughs> right? It was just the B.I. Before, uh, before, before, este, este, um, before it became the FBI. Anyhow, he was, uh, he became the head of the FBI, uh, the director, uh, in 1924. Okay? And, um, este, he, one of the things that, in, in the, it could, that, sh that they showed in the movie, in the movie, in the show, and one of the things that comes up here when I was doing the research is, um, you know, he was, um, he was chasing, let's, for the lack of a better term, right, since he's the FBI director, he's chasing or looking for bad guys, right, he's looking for bootleggers, he's looking for, you know, Volstead Act, you know, people who are breaking the law, bootleggers and all that stuff. But he was also chasing, quote unquote, these communist movements, you know, in America. And you'd be like, what? Yeah, imagine that. So, so the the Soviet Revolution happened in uh, what, 1918, I believe, is when they took power, when um, when Lenin took power. Este, and. Um, and Hoover became director in uh, 1924. Este. Hold on. No, see, these motherfuckers, see. <laughs> I'm sorry. These putos, I'm telling you, way. It's okay. I'm sorry. They, they messed up on the date. Anyhow, so back then, there was movement, a one... Okay, now, <clears throat> now, este, eh, fuck, see, how am I going to do this shit? Nah, nah, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> so there was a movement, all right? There was a guy named Marcus Garvey. Um, este, he, he uh, was considered a radical, right? So, they had the radical division of the investigative, right, in the FBI, uh, investigating the quote-unquote radicals, right, in American society. The, and um, Marcus Garvey was one of the guys that they were chasing because he was a huge organizer. You know, black liberation, um, you know, black empowerment and stuff, but people were, were following him, right? He was he was organizing huge crowds. Este, uh, he he was the founder of the first. I'm sorry, 
He was the founder of the, this is the name of the organization, Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League. Este, so, as far as the government, right, or the FBI was concerned, you know, these huge groups, these huge marches and huge organizing, you know, um, they wanted to investigate, right? Um, now, I, so, you know how I like to do here, I like to step back, okay? So, the reasoning behind the investigating of these groups, or this group in particular, and its followers and its leader, is that was the, the fear of the communists being spread. The communist information, communist doctrine, whatever, being spread to these masses of people. That was the fear of... Um, of the government or of J. Edgar Hoover, let's say, right? So see, what we were talking about earlier, even back then in the 19... He became director in 1924, so 24, 25, 26, around there, 27. You know, he's investigating these groups, right? It's the... It's, um, because of the fear of, of, of the communist ideals being spread in America, even back then, right? Uh, of course, history likes to write things sometimes, um, I mean, because when, when you look into it, you'll probably find stuff like it was racially motivated or whatever, you know? Not really mentioning the concern that maybe there was something nefarious going on underneath the surface. Right. And I mean, so so we like to step back. So it can go either way. I mean, was it racially motivated? Because they didn't like, because some of the reports that you look and you find, if you read these different things about it, um, depending, on, depending on the perspective, is that, uh, you know, they didn't like seeing such large groups of well-organized black men, you know? As the, and one of the things that Marcus Garvey ta uh, taught his followers is, you know, also upkeep and present, present yourself well and, you know, and those type of things too. You know, positive things, definitely. Uh, but, I mean, much more than just that. He wasn't just like, a, hey, let's, let's just, you know, let's just get our act together. He was, he was way more than that. He was a huge organizer. So they were they were scared. So now we step back. We can see both sides. We can see the the fear, let's say, from the, the from the bureau saying, "Well, why not let's investigate to make sure that there isn't some crazy shit going on in there, you know, some communism spreading among, you know, you know." So okay, I can see that, and then I can see the other thing where where they say, "Okay, well, you know, back then, especially back then, I mean." You know, they, people complain about race relations or whatever. Now, back then, it was way fucking different. So, you know, I can see, I can see, I can see that a little bit. Like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to it, right? Maybe there is. We don't know, right? Este, but then, um, so along the way, and then, of course, we all kind of know some stuff about J. Edgar Hoover, whatever. But never mind all the other stuff. Remember, because we're, we're, 
we want to stay on this on this path that we're on right so J. Edgar Hoover we can assume no no we're not going to assume it's it's in the books it's in the history books 1920s he's worried about infiltration of communism in these movements and in America 1920s so remember earlier we we're talking about that conspiracy theory right in the movies and stuff you know so like so now we can see oh okay now we know where they get this being checked conspiracy theory from because look you know this crazy this crazy nut this crazy nut Jagger Hoover is 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 thinks thinks there's communism right in these in these peaceful uh, movements right of of black men how absurd right how how absurd is is that so that's 1920s, and uh, he, uh, Hoover, I believe, was director for like, tw what, 20, 40, probably something like 40 years. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got it right here, but I don't want to look it up. Um, it, it's no, it doesn't matter. So now we, we do the timeline a little bit forward, right? So, so what was another, um, oh yeah, during the 50s, if I'm not mistaken, Estem. Uh, during the fifties, there was a a, a a senator, right? Mac uh, what was the name? Joseph McCarthy. Um, oops, sorry, I don't have it here. Fine, but y'all heard of McCarthyism, right? Um, this senator, and he was like, and you know, he wa he was investigating communism, and uh, and he would he had uh, called people to testify in his committee and have you ever been associated with any communist groups he'd bring you know Langston Hughes you know the guy the writer the Langston Hughes guy was brought before a committee and questioned if he ever uh, you know associated with communist party and this and that you know and he did I mean, he answered he said he did he used to you know <laughs> absorb all that uh, all that doctrine he says it it's quoted and everything but anyhow uh, you know that what was going that was going on in you know I think it was the mid 50s up close into the early early 60s I had it in front of me but I closed the screen out and I ain't gonna waste time looking for it again doesn't matter McCarthyism we all heard of it as the and if you search Google you heard you search Google oh fuck you Chema what is McCarthyism? Sorry. Here's the definition of McCarthyism. A vociferous campaign against alleged communists in the U.S. government and other institutions carried out under Senator Joseph McCarthy in the period 1950-54. to 54. Many of the accused were blacklisted or lost their jobs, although most did not in fact belong to the Communist Party. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> Sorry guys, I uh, just... Okay, so, you know, mid-50s, right? Um, looking for communists and accusing communists being, you know, uh, you know, writers and authors and all kinds of people, right? And she said the blacklist. So apparently, when when this when this committee started calling people out, and mind you, in the committee, uh, you know, they had to testify, so they were under oath. So if they were asked, "Hey, have you ever belonged to any group that like like communist party involved?" They had to tell the truth, you know, and lo and behold, a lot of them were, because <laughs> she says, 
Uh, many of the accused were blacklisted and lost their jobs, although most did not, in fact, belong to the Communist Party. It said most, but it some did. So she says most. What's that? 55%? Okay. 45% did, let's assume, right? That's the... So, but the theory, right? Conspiracy theory. Ah, oh, here we go again. Pincha McCarthy. And you should hear some of these uh, uh, videos. Like, if you search it on YouTube, you'll see some of these hearings where he's accusing people of being McCarthy. And see, now when we look back, so you might have heard in recent times, oh, McCarthyism, right? Uh, or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I've heard it I, on some political shit that happened a while back, but it doesn't matter. But if you haven't heard of McCarthyism, just Google it and, and you will see videos and stuff. Right, because it's the chasing for communism or whatever, right? Um, oh, yeah, that's right, because they were like trying to compare people who are trying to say, oh, this senator is a, is a socialist. Oh, well, no, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, right? Because they're like, no, I'm a moderate. Nah, nigga, you're a socialist. You know, your ideas are basically communism, you know? And, and oh, what are you, McCarthyism? <laughs> so, so, see... That's the kind of rhetoric and that's the kind of, kind of political play that we have. But beyond that, beyond that stuff, right? Back to the theme. Is, is McCarthy, this guy McCarthy and his committee and whoever the fuck, right? They were investigating and looking for influencers. Big influencers, right? Langston Hughes was a writer. A huge popular writer. You know, and seeing if they are being influenced by the Communist Party. And they considered the Communist Party a threat because remember, Soviet Russia was our 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 number one enemy, <laughs> enemy, number one enemy. As they so sure you're gonna you know if you know if world domination is on their is on their mind, then sure you want to keep that ideology outside of your nation. You know that you want to keep that poison outside of your nation, right? I'll put poison in quotes. You know, that wants to destroy or take over or whatever. If the Soviet Union wanted to take over the world and their ideology was planted in America, then, hey, we should look out just in case this is what's happening. Right? So Hoover thought so. Uh, McCarthy thought so also. Right? Because they saw, especially McCarthy, because by the 50s, by the mid-50s, they could see what communism leads to in the Soviet Union. It was pretty clear by then. It was really clear by then. Now, in the 20s, it was really early, but, yeah, they knew what was going on, but, you know, it wasn't, like, stupid clear. <laughs> and by the 50s, it was really, really, really clear, enough to, to where this senator, you know, had hearings and stuff. But then, of course, later on, he was ridiculed because he did overplay his hands, you know? And you know, y'all know I like political, you know, y'all know I like politics and gaming, the, 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 the way they... The you know the the not the schemes but the manners of doing things and whatever and he overplayed his hand and you know he basically got ridiculed and stuff after that and whatever you know because he he if he would have just kept it straight and legit you know but of course with politics and, and and in Washington there comes pride and all this stuff and you know sometimes that leads to to one's own like self destruction I guess. But the idea itself, right? Sounds fucking crazy and shit. Um, so, 
there's a there is a este, an author named G. Edward Griffin. He's been around for a long time. Uh, and in 1969, he, he, he's, so, when it comes to, like, right, this conspiracy theory, right, or this theory, he's one that has been chasing that for a minute. So, we're about to listen to him from a, from footage from 1969, okay? So, real quick, just a, a quick revision where we're at. Um, J. Edgar Hoover, 1924. Right, uh, Marcus Garvey in the twenties, all of that stuff with Marcus Garvey and the black, you know, black liberation movement, whatever they called themselves. That's the twenties, nineteen fifty, mid fifties. We have the McCarthy hearings, right? Um, and then we are jumping to. Okay, so just real quick before we jump, before we get to. Um, to Edward Griffin. As a no, as a matter of fact, let's get to him because he's when he's the one, you know. So like, like I'm gonna put this whole thing in quotes because, you know, it, it it's it's deserving of quotes. Quote: He's the one who pushed this conspiracy theory about spies being in America, right? Okay. So, let's, that's the marker right there. And I don't even like saying it like that because, you know, because uh, we're stepping back, right? We're not in it, right? We're on the hill looking down, okay? Right? So we can see it better. Okay, so let's hear what he got to say and then, then we'll go from there. Okay, here we go. As early as 1928, the communists declared that the racial differences among our people constituted the weakest and most vulnerable point in our social fabric. By constantly probing and straining at this one spot, they calculated that eventually the cloth could be torn apart and that Americans could be divided, weakened, and perhaps even set against each other in open combat. We mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that the communists have placed their agitators only into the black communities. They're working both sides of the street. They want hatred, violence, and bloodshed between the races, and they don't care how they get it or whom they use, even children if necessary. That the communist blueprint calls also for white retaliation and violence in the black communities. It's a very important objective for the Communist Party. So far, they've only been able to involve a small percentage of our Negro people in this war of national liberation. The great majority want no part of it in any form. But the one sure way to change that is to have white vigilante groups striking into the Negro sections supposedly to seek revenge. Ladies and gentlemen, the plans and preparations for a communist revolution of force and violence are far advanced. The organization behind these preparations has almost unlimited financial resources and it provides both training and leadership based upon years of experience in many other countries. Our enemies are deadly serious about their task, and it's nothing short of national suicide for us to continue to ignore their plans and their progress. The strategy of the proletarian revolution calls for the quiet conversion of our government into a communist regime 
but under the banner of socialism. What is socialism? Well, what is socialism? All right, let's define it. According to the dictionary, socialism is a political concept based upon the principle of government ownership and control of property, the means of production, and the avenues of commerce. Under socialism, those who run the government, and the communists are confident that in America they eventually will be the ones who do so, those who run the government will know who is to get something and who has to wait, and that represents control over human beings. What has all this to do with the communist revolution in America? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has everything to do with it because the building of socialism is the communist revolution in America. It represents the process whereby our country can be moved gradually toward communism without the people even being aware of it. No matter what grievance we may have, real or imagined, no matter what national problems we may face, the communists seize upon these as excuses to build socialism. They have one and only one solution for all problems. More government, more government, and then more and more until it's total government. And forgive me for saying it one more time, total government is communism. How communism? In 1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. What the fuck? Fuck, man. Did y'all hear that shit? We're gonna have to fucking analyze this shit. It's them. The weak... Whoa. Bro. Okay, we're gonna... We're gonna... Let's go back to the beginning, and we're gonna... I'm gonna have to... Holy shit. Okay, well, anyway... This, no, let's analyze what he said first. Okay, step by step. As early as 1928, the communists declared that the racial differences among our people constituted the weakest and most vulnerable point in our social fabric. By constantly probing and straining at this one spot, they calculated that eventually the cloth could be torn apart and that Americans could be divided, weakened, and perhaps even set against each other in open combat. We mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that the communists have placed their agitators only into the black communities. They're working both sides of the street. They want hatred, violence, and bloodshed between the races, and they don't care how they get it or whom they use, even children if necessary. Okay. Wow. So, he said since 1928. So, earlier when we were talking about Marcus Garvey, you know, so his timeline when he where he remember he's speaking in 1969 and he says since 1928 the communists have known that the racial things between the people, right? And Marcus Garvey was black and his people were black and the followers, right? And agitation, right? Not and, and see damn. Okay. Wait, because this takes a little super duper analyzing. Um 
because you manipulate the people, right? You manipulate the people into believing they're following something while underneath it's really something else, right? Whatever it is. That's how, that's how you get people to follow you. Um, well, no, if it's, a, it's the ideal, it, it doesn't, my, my bad. That's not how you get people to follow you. But if there's a devious motive, let's say, then you want to hide it from the people because then they wouldn't follow you. If they knew, let's say, if there was a deviant, or not deviant, a devious motive behind your movement or whatever, right? And notice the color thing. Damn, what he said sounds like what's happening like today in modern times almost even. What the fuck? That shit was fucking crazy. It's the, because uh, people fighting, right? Um, and stuff like that. But this guy is a conspiracy. He's labeled as a conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theorist. Right? But he said this in 1969. And we see some shit going on in the streets right now. So that's crazy. Let's keep going. Let's see. That the communist blueprint calls also for white retaliation and violence in the black communities. It's a very important objective for the Communist Party. So far, they've only been able to involve a small percentage of our Negro people in this war of national liberation. The great majority want no part of it in any form. But the one sure way to change that is to have white vigilante groups striking into the Negro sections supposedly to seek revenge. Ladies and gentlemen. Now real quick, what he just said, that tactic that he just said, right? So it's like, see their motivation, let's say the so, the people, right, the communists who are infiltrating America or whatever, I would assume that their motivation, no matter what, is destruction of America, right, to take over it or whatever, so you're going to have people at each other's, at each other's throats, right, so you, you infiltrate the black community and you tell them this, this, and that, but you agitate them against the white people, and then you, you, in, then you infiltrate the white community and you agitate them, hey, look at all these blacks, they're getting all, all uppity, and look, what, we're going to let, you know, and agitate them, and then <clears throat> maybe send in a group of baseball bats, crack some heads, you know what I'm saying? That's almost like a mob tactic, almost. Like, y'all, all of y'all seen Sopranos, y'all seen movies of mobs, how how they send in the hit, the hit, not the hit squad, but the crack squad, right? The, the baseball bat squad to break up a whatever, uh, um, to break up a, a strike or whatever, and then behind the scenes, they they had money, they had their hands in both things. They had their hands in the strike, and they had their hands in the headcrackers. Straight mob tactics. Holy shit. It's communism, man. I'll tell you what. Um, 1969, G. Edgar Griffin. Let's keep going. Edward Griffin, sorry. The plans and preparations for a communist revolution of force and violence are far advanced. The organization behind these preparations has almost unlimited financial resources and it provides both training and leadership based upon years of experience in many other countries. Our enemies are deadly serious about their task and it's nothing short of national suicide for us to continue to ignore their plans and their progress. The strategy of the proletarian revolution calls for the quiet conversion of our government into a communist regime but under the banner of socialism. Well, what is socialism? All right, let's define it. According to the dictionary, socialism is a 
under socialism, those who... Sorry, I forwarded it because we know what socialism is. Uh, and I just, you know, we want to keep moving along. Sorry, guys. ...run the government. And the communists are confident that in America, they eventually will be the ones who do so. Those who run the government will know who is to get something and who has to wait. And that represents control over human beings. Real quick, does that sound familiar? Who gets to get something and who doesn't? Like when we talk about rich people on TV, right? When they talk about the rich, you know, why do they have so much money? You know, you know, you, how much is enough? Like, you know, how much, you know what I'm saying? Talking about people's wealth, CEOs and, you know, pointing people out and like sort of, so the, the seeds of the idea, um, the, um, the ideology, right? Like of what he just said is telling you what you will have. No, you're too rich. You're too rich. I will tell you how much you can have, right? The ideology behind it. Okay. Keep going. What has all this to do with the communist revolution in America? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has everything to do with it because the building of socialism is the communist revolution in America. It represents the process whereby our country can be moved gradually toward communism without the people even being aware of it. No matter what grievance we may have, real or imagined, no matter what national problems we may face, the communists seize upon these as excuses to build socialism. They have one and only one solution for all problems. More government, more government, and then more and more until it's total government. And forgive me for saying it one more time, total government is communism. Okay, so you know, I have libertarian leanings and you know, I'm a conservative, um, my ideals, right? And I, I like, I want small, smaller government, right? Because like he just explained, more government means more power, more control over you, over the stuff around you, over production, over stuff, you know, over the things that, that the people have power, you know, over their own businesses, over their own properties, over their own, um, you know, schooling and children, whatever, right? So the more power the government gets, the more control it has over us. And then, like he said, until it's total power. You know? And that's, that's a scary thought because we don't understand what total power looks like. I mean, we got a taste of it this year with the, hey, bring you better be wearing a mask when you come inside a store. You know? Hey, you better shut down your restaurant. You know, that's a little taste of, of what total power looks like. You know, looks like or would look like. Anyhow, let's keep going. Um, oh, so this um, this last part. Remember, he said that they, that they sent out a message to everybody. Uh, you know, to... Uh, uh, the, um, oh, 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 shit. This is a fucking crazy part. Okay. So the question, um, how community, how communities respond when, um, when they lose an argument? Shit. How to, how to respond when you lose an argument? 
1943, the following directive was issued from party headquarters to all communists in the United States. It read, when certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. Did y'all hear that? I'm sure y'all did. But did you understand what the fuck he just said? and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. The association will, after enough repetition, become fact in the public mind. Anti-Semitic, Nazi, racist. When certain obstructionists become too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist or Nazi or anti-Semitic and use the prestige of anti-fascist and tolerance organizations to discredit them. In the public mind, constantly associate those who oppose us with those names which already have a bad smell. Use tolerance organizations to to, to, you know, to fight against them, right? Uh, let's say gay rights groups, right? Let's say black uh, rights groups, Latino rights groups. Nah, y'all guys are a bunch of Nazis. Y'all guys are a bunch of racists. Y'all guys are a bunch of Nazis. And he says, the, this is the directive that came out. How do we, when we lose an argument, how do we respond? You call him a Nazi. You call him an anti-Semite. You call him a racist. And you keep saying it over and over until the perception is true. Y'all remember when we talked about repetition? Right? Um, subliminal suggestion through repetition. Nope. Nope. That's not it. Uh, subliminal voice. Anyway, y'all remember the show? If not, I'm sorry. When something is repeated over and over and over subliminally in the mind, it it is taken as fact. It is taken as truth. Okay? And remember, this guy is labeled a conspiracy theorist or has been labeled a conspiracy theorist since 1969. Is when he made this presentation here that we're listening to sounds kooky does it sound kooky where we are now looking back at what he's saying he's a conspiracy theorist in your mind what you just heard does any of it make sense or does it make fuck ton of sense but so we're not done investigating this guy right because we want to dig in when i say okay we fucking kook fucking kook right what are we, what are we, uh, uh, wait, what are we gonna just, um, <laughs> take his, take his word for it, right? What are we gonna do? <laughs> it's the, so, back to the theme, right? He's, he's saying 
It's something a little bit different, you know, but sort of like, you know, uh, the infiltration part of the whole of the whole story, of the whole theme that we were talking about earlier. Este, um, so now we can we can kind of see a little bit more like maybe where it was that that um, that Hollywood got that Hollywood got um, their you know these ideas of of um, you know these infiltrators of communism and stuff right because I mean the the idea itself is like wow you know now looking back through time of course it looks a little bit more like holy moly you know was he right <laughs> right that's like holy shit it was he correct freaking crazy so this this quote unquote crazy conspiracy guy <laughs> right uh, <laughs> who came up with this crazy story about all this infiltration and shit it's the like how could that even be true? How could ever it ever even be possible unless you, you know you freaking went into the Soviet Union and looked at their files or, or whatever the fuck, right? Or got a uh, or got a pinche found one of those spies or something that to tell you all about it, right? Well, one of the good things about due diligence <laughs> is that it pays off, you know. So in um, in 1984, he found and spoke with an ex-KGB defector named Yuri Bezmenov. Okay? This conspiracy guy found an ex-KGB guy in 1984. What we heard earlier was from 1969, was it? Sorry. Este, um, so we're, we're like what? 20 something years later maybe or 15 years later whatever anyhow now a quick thing um the soviet union collapsed or it def it, it, it it dissolved in 1991 okay this is 1984 this guy is a defector right so in 1984 soviet union still kicking butt right cold war on fire and this is a defector from the soviet union kgb Spy agency, all that stuff, right? So, uh, let's see what he has to say about this crazy guy's kooky theory about infiltrating and whatever. So, let's see what uh, Yuri Bezmenov has to say. Mr. Bezmenov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. 
when uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. 
This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in, in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, not, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karmar with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking, but every second the disaster... Like, so, you know, sorry. So, you know, just thinking of what he said. Um, <laughs> so, that, you know, it, it doesn't. Back to the conspiracy theory earlier, right? The thesis or the theory, right? The hypothesis of the, of, of the uh, author there earlier on in, in, in time, in the 60s, when he was like, they're infiltrating. Then he finds a KGB guy who says, oh yeah, right? And what did he say? Groups, community leaders, their, uh, professors, they're instrumental in pushing this thing. But like we all know, if you're a history buff, you all know that they're going to get used and they're going to be the first ones to get lined up against the wall. Just like he said it, because it happened. He explained where it happened. <laughs> he gave a whole list. And it happened in Soviet Union. Lenin took over, you know, but right after him, when Stalin took over, they killed all kinds of motherfuckers. All kinds of motherfuckers. Everybody who helped with the first, re with the revolution. He had to get anybody who, who potentially could have, you know, just like he explained, the next guy is more Marxist than you, and he's going to take you out. Oh, man. Crisis, right? You hear about crisis, this word crisis, everything's a crisis. Uh, you know, with, with the government, right, everything's a crisis. Remember, more government, more government, more government until it's total government. Every time there's a crisis, they take power. 9-11, they take power. Um, what was that? Freedom Act or Patriot Act. 
right? It's a crisis. They take power. Um, health, um, you know, right now we're with the coronavirus or whatever, what? They take power. Well, no, actually, this this time around, so this, this time around, smaller institutions, instit smaller parts of the governments, let's say states, smaller governments have used this. Well, let's, let's just be fucking straight about it. Leftist run governments like states and community and, and cities and stuff they use this um they have used uh this uh a pandemic thing to to take power right it's the, the crisis it's a crisis so they take power now as far as as far as what the federal government did you know what they do always and what they're really good at is is um plundering our treasury a trillion dollars i don't even know how much Nobody even knows that because nobody cares, nobody talks about it on the news. They're talking about other dumb shit, but you know they plunder. So whenever there's a crisis, they plunder. And and depending who is in control of the federal government, might could take more power. You know, in a crisis, that's what that's what government does. <clears throat> so um, we've so we heard the guy who. You know, who used to be a KGB agent. That's them. And he says, yeah. He said, you better believe it. And he warned us. That was in 1984, was it? Uh, that video was in 1984. It's they're warning us. Hey, this shit's happening right now. And he was saying it in 94. I mean, in 84. My bad. I'm sorry. 1984. But still, like, come on, guys. Come on, man. Come on, Jake. Conspiracy shit. All right, one guy. How do we even know he's a... How do we even know he's a an ex-KGB? I mean, he has an accent. What if he's an actor, right? Or something, right? Okay. I, you know, we... Okay. I... Okay. I. Good question. Right? Okay, so we're not... We're not just gonna... We don't just stop. And okay, we're done. No. No, because because the question is still there. What if this fucking guy is just a kook, uh, uh, you know, an actor or making some shit up? What if that's his homeboy, right? That the the conspiracy guy. What if hey nigga say this this and that? Okay, cool. All right, because look, all as far as we know, where's the evidence, right? Uh, FBI was searching Mark was was chasing Marcus Garvey and them, and then the McCarthy hearings, right? He was chasing all kinds of communists and. Through the throughout the government and through Hollywood and everything, right? But where's the evidence? Well, okay, well we, now we got this KGB guy who says no, it's happening. Okay, but there's no evidence yet. Well, at least as far as well, as far as what we can say, yes or no on what side is true, because that's sort of the question what we're trying to find out here, sort of, I guess, because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't add up yet. It still sounds conspiracy theorist. Especially if this KGB guy is just a kook. But we are thesis and we don't play that shit. What? Is it right? Is it all true? Is it even true? Conspiracy theory? Crazy nuts? Whatever. Now, let me introduce you to a guy named Saul Alinsky. Este, some of y'all might have heard of him. 
Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've heard the name before, not really know who he is. Well, he's a guy. He was born in Chicago, 1909. Este, he's a early, he's a political uh, organizer. You know, he's been a political organizer mostly his mostly all his life. I mean, he started organizing uh, in 1938, which was uh, what he was like 20. Wait, let me see. He was born in 1909, 38 minus nine, that's 29. So he started organizing at a young age, right? Este, uh, for local stuff going on, for unions and stuff like that. So he got a he got an early early you know he started he, he he had an early start on on community organizing since way back in the day you know este, and throughout you know throughout the years that's what he was good at and good you know really good at and you know he, and he would teach others and stuff you know about his organizing he got better and he he adjusted it as 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 time went on and stuff and uh, one interesting thing uh, because well let's keep going uh, so he he wrote a book called rules for radicals and um, in these rules for radicals you know he laid out uh, a way ways to you know like and we're talking political rhetoric right type thing rules like sort of the art of war but like the art of war in politics uh, if you want to win at any cost right something like that uh, so in the '60s, he was teaching a bunch, a young generation, of of these rules that he developed throughout the years of of community organizing. Now, interesting tip about this guy, you know, before or while he was community organizing early on, before the unions and stuff, he was actually connected to the uh, Northside Gang, or uh, wait, what do they call themselves anyway? The Al Capone Gang in Chicago. You know, and this is actually fact. You're not gonna find it in Wikipedia, unfortunately. Um, but it's out. You know, it's 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 documented. And some of the tactics that when you study what he would do, as they there, you know, it's similar to what what groups do today, where they let's say, um, oh, shit. Let's use modern examples like um, BLM, right? They they go to a a, sto a store. Uh, they go to a company, and for the lack of a better term, you know, they strong arm them. They shake them down. Hey, support our group, or we're gonna pick it. You know, your store. And of course, companies are gonna be like, no, 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 no. Here, okay, here. Let me donate. What? How much y'all? You know, is a million enough? You know, let me donate a million bucks. You know, but see, it's all legal. Well, dep it depends what you say. How you do it, you know what I'm saying? To me, it sounds illegal as fuck. But these groups do it over and over. Jesse Jackson and, and uh, uh, Al Sharpton, especially Al Sharpton's group network, his network. That's what they do. And there's a bunch of new guys, new characters popping up all over the place. Lawyers and stuff who have their own groups now that pop up whenever something goes off because that's how they make their money. We've talked about that before. Which kind of plays in, seems like a little bit into this whole puzzle that we're that, that that we're piecing together. Anyhow, the tactics that he would use is like that, you know. But he would use, you know, I mean, they would do that, but on a on a on a smaller on a smaller level. 
the bank, the local bank, you know, the, the local store, you know, like that. But he was training people along the way. He was training people and he made these rules on how to win at this political game. And of course, he's a Marxist when you when you see what he believed in and whatever, he's a communist, socialist, whatever, right? And uh, he's in the community. He's he's popular. He was, a, you know, he made speeches and he everybody knew he was the most popular or community organizer, you know. Basically, yeah, most popular community organizer ever, right? As the, and the stuff that he teaches and the way that he teaches, you could say like, oh man, this guy's a Marxist, right? Or whatever. As the soul. You know, he wrote this book in the six, in uh, when did he write Worst Radical? 1971, um, I believe. I have it here. I'm just sorry, I don't like taking up time. As the, Oh, works. Here we go. Sorry. Rules for radicals. Sorry. Yep, 1971. I was correct. Sorry about that. Didn't want to take time on. I said, so he wrote a book, Rules for Radicals, 1971, which basically he had already um, defined his rules. He already, over the years, he'd already, you know, you know, sharpened the rules. And now, so he wrote a book and... This is what, you know, he spread out to his community organizing groups throughout the country. Right? So what are these rules of radical rules for radicals? I mean, you know, there's 13 of them, seems like. <laughs> it's the, and we're going to go through them because, you know, we don't just want to take the word um you know, you don't want to just take my word for it. Like, oh, he said you should do this and you should do that. So instead of doing that, we're gonna we're gonna go to our friends at the uh, Leadership Institute, and they're gonna go over each rule, you know, uh, and have a tiny explanation behind each rule. And uh, and then also, if if there's something that I want to add, I'll add it. Um, so let's go ahead and see what these rules for radicals are. You know, and we'll see what's going on. And uh, keep in mind, keep in mind what, what the whole theory is that we're on right now. This whole hypothesis of of infiltration of spies and this and this and that, right? So let's see what what this guy is teaching the the people in these communities and stuff like that uh, for a long time, right? For several decades. Let's see what he's teaching them, right? So let's look at the rules themselves. Rule number one. Power is not what you have, but what your enemy thinks you have. If you can fool your adversaries, whether that's in a legislative bow battle, whether it's a threat of a boycott, no matter what sort of action you're taking, if you imply power and resources, you may fool your enemy into thinking you have more power, more organizational ability than you have and that can be very powerful in and of itself. Rule number two, never go outside the experience of your people. People aren't comfortable with things that they have no familiarity with. Now, it doesn't mean you aren't constantly training people to become familiar with new tactics, new ways of doing things but you get people to do things that they are familiar with and they understand and they know. Rule number three, always go outside the experience of your enemy. 
keep your enemy always a little off kilter. Make sure your enemy doesn't know exactly how to respond. Increase uncertainty and fear. Make them address issues that are distracting, that they aren't expecting to address, that they might not know how to address. Okay, so real quick, let me... <clears throat> so that one, that one is interesting. Because have you ever noticed, and this is like, I don't even think it's trained. I think it's just picked up or something. Because if you ever, and this is why I refrain from like political discussions amongst certain people who, you know, who who might end up in a shouting match or whatever. Because it's not a productive discussion, right? But a lot of times, if there's a specific issue that you want to speak about, you know, let's, whatever, take whatever issue it may be. <clears throat> Pardon me. As a as a philosophy minded person, you know you focus in on the issue that you're looking at. You know, and uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you're talking to somebody and you're trying to get your point across, or you're trying to explain how you're coming to your decision or whatever, and then they throw another question out at you. Well, what about uh, blah blah blah? Something that's not even part of the focus that we were on. You know, so now your focus is somewhere else. You have to defend something else. It's over here. Now, oh, what about this? What about that? Whoa, whoa. Slow down. Back up. Let's focus, right? Let's focus. And the thing, this rule number, what was it? Number two. Sorry, my eyesight, guys. I need to freaking, I think it's rule number two or number three. <laughs> I'm freaking blind, Pimpin. Sorry, guys. It's the, um, confusion, right? Keep them off tilter. Right, you know, throw stuff at them that that they're not gonna be ready for it or expecting, right? You're talking about um, uh, financial stuff, and then what about racism? Oh shit, what the fuck, racism? Damn, nigga, we're talking about banks and shit. <laughs> nigga brought out racism. Hold them up, hold them up, fool. Listen, let's, let's 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 talk about the the bank stuff, the money stuff first, and then we'll talk about all that other stuff. Can no? All right, let's keep going. Rule number four. Make the enemy live up to their own book of rules. And this is extremely important, and this is straight out of Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist. Catch your enemy lying and hold him to that, but don't hold yourself to any standards at all whatsoever. This is typical in all the campaigns we see waged by the left today. Make your enemy adhere to their bourgeois standards. That's the way they see it. And I would add to that, actually, I'm surprised he didn't mention this, but, you know, okay, he's a, they're scholarly people, I guess, at the Leadership Institute. Is that make your enemy live up to their standards, right? So let's say, for instance, the current battle that we're in politically right now, right? The right versus the left, right? Conservatives are the the people who are peaceful and who don't fight back and all this and all that. So when when Antifa types, when BLM types, when when uh, you know women's march types get in your face and screaming and you know shoving or whatever, you know oh you're the peaceful type, you ain't gonna do shit. So I'm in your face and blah blah blah, screaming in your face, spitting in your face. You know, I'm gonna make you live up to your standards. You ain't gonna do shit to me because you're the peaceful one. You're the, you know, you're the Christian. You're the this. So I could punch you and I can and not expect anything back. I'm going to make you live up to your standards. You say you're peaceful, bam, hit you in your face. Let's see if you're peaceful. Oh, you're peaceful? Okay. 
you know that's that's the that's the rule there remember i'm just explaining the rule through their you know what they're doing or whatever okay let's keep going chris do you think we have one example of maybe how the left has done this you know today you know forced or even the right has done it to the left you know force the other side to live by their own standards well i think we see it in, in a lot of recent campaigns uh, anytime any candidate or politician on the right gets a statistic slightly wrong, the attack is immediately made. You're lying. You're exaggerating. On the other hand, we can have uh, uh, someone perhaps even in the White House earn many Pinocchios for <laughs> telling things that aren't right. And, oh, he was just uh, making a misstatement. They make excuses. So this is typical. Rule number four, uh, rule number five, ridicule is man's most, Im most potent weapon. If you can turn your enemy into an object of ridicule, there's almost no defense for that. And for any of you who followed the presidential campaign in 2012, you may know what they did to Rick Santorum's name. And that was absolutely potent. It took millions of people on the left working together to make that happen. But when you can make someone a joke, make them a ridiculous figure, that is devastating. Number six. A Sorry, real quick. Orange man bad. Orange man stupid. Orange man lie. Orange man lie. All the time. Bad. Liar. Stupid. He killed people. This. That. Character. You're a character. Big baby balloon. Orange man. This and that. Characterize, character, character, uh, insult, you know, that's the, okay, rule number six, sorry. Good tactic is one your people enjoy. Well, duh, of course. If people enjoy what they're doing, they will do it with more vigor and more imagination, and they'll be much more involved in the process. Okay, real quick, I want to add to that. So. That is important because if you see, like, for instance, the Antifas and the BLM riders and stuff, they're having a great time. They're enjoying what they are doing. But like I said, you know, if you get people to enjoy what they're doing, then they're going to do it, you know, honorably. <laughs> honorably is the wrong word. But, um, yeah. Now, now, I don't know when this video was made. It was posted six months ago, um, so I'm assuming it's not that old. But one thing that is happening in the political realm among these two sides, right, is that the right, the the conservatives, the right side of the spectrum, there's they look like they're starting to have a lot of fun lately. Like, they're enjoying the shit out of themselves. These rallies, these Trump trains or whatever. Uh, I don't know if y'all heard like the Biden guy, right? The Biden bus, not the guy. He, I don't think he was on the bus. He was somewhere else, but was going from San Antonio to Austin or something. And it happened to come across one of these Trump trains and these guys just kind of followed the bus. So there's like pictures out there of these, these big trucks, you know, Texans, it was in Texas. So these Texans love big trucks with huge, um, Trump flags. And so, like, there's these pictures and videos of the Biden bus surrounded by trucks, big Texas trucks with Trump flags and American flags. It's, it's just politically, you know, I step back and I look at it and I like, 
that looks like they're having a blast. You know, when you see these rallies, they look like they're having a blast, you know, on the right, you know, then that's a good thing. And um, anyhow, let's keep going here. Rule number seven, a tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. Your people get bored. They don't see any results. And it does become counterproductive. That, to some extent, is what happened with the Occupy movement. It just dragged on and on. Nobody saw anything happening. And eventually, it just petered out. You know, that's interesting because I've had that question before and maybe some of you have, let's say, who are a little more attentive to the political, you know, um, drama in America. You know, and it's not just the recent, the, the political drama that is the, ouch, that has been going on for a minute. One thing that I noticed was how it seems like, like leftists, right, um, jump from issue to issue thing to thing it's it's never it's always the next thing and the next thing it's like it seems like weekly there's a new fight weekly there's a new battle you know this week is statues next week is healthcare next week is women's rights week after that is racism you know what i'm saying why because you got to keep your people you know they get bored people get bored really quick I need, you know, and this thing right here, you know, like the perfect example, Occupy Wall Street. It petered out because they got tired and nothing was happening in their mind. Nothing was happening. Nothing was happening because they're what they were what they were doing was was absurd and ridiculous. You know what their demands are, or whatever. So nothing was gonna happen. But if you if you as a as a remember, we're reading the rules radical. So you as a community organizer, because you're the head of this organization, right? Let's say I'm making you an organizer. You're gonna organize these people. You need to keep them active. You need to keep them excited. You need to you need to um, get people to do the things that they like to do. You need to you know motivation and keep them interested in things. Oh hey, this time this time oh hey, this week um, some minorities got. Uh, you know, uh, they didn't get served right at the, okay, let's go, boom, new fight, you know, then the next week, you have to keep, you know, and I've noticed that, so anyway, no wonder, that's one of the rules. Rule number eight, <laughs> keep pressure on, don't give your adversary a chance to regroup, if you let up, it may give the crisis management team for your opponent a chance to figure out a way to counterattack. So always keep the pressure up. That one's easy. <laughs> like, no wonder, right? No wonder. You just look at, look at the past three years, no freaking wonder. You just keep the pressure on. Just keep the pressure on. Rule number nine. The threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. And this works with the earlier rule to imply power. Adversaries will expend inordinate resources to defend themselves against a threat that you may not even have the power to, to fulfill. So make the threats, imply the power, and you can really keep your adversaries off guard. Okay, real quick, an example. We go to the store, right, that quote-unquote, you know, um, had some racist stuff to some minorities or whatever. And we're going like we go up there in a group and you know we present ourselves and uh, hey you know before we go to the press before we get our people our organization to this this and that to order a boycott to picket your store we're gonna give you an opportunity you know 
an opportunity to to correct the situation you know oh and then of course the adversary the store owner is going to be like oh, shit okay no damn they're going to pick my store i'm going to lose money okay whatever you want right that's the tactic man this dude talk about art of war for fucking that's the art of war for political you know in the political realm nigga shit bro all right let's go rule number 10 the major premise for tactics is that the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. Now, what this means, in essence, is the left is not in a battle. They're not in an election followed by a legislative battle. They are in constant war. On the right, we see politics like a basketball game. We go sit in the bleachers, we cheer for our team, then we go home, back to our families, our communities, our churches and synagogues, and we live our lives. That's not how the left sees it. The left sees this as constant war. You know, and that right there just shows and it explains why is it that there's always something going on. Back to the thing about earlier, keep, you know, keep your people, ex you know, uh, because they get bored, right? But then that's why it's the constant war because now next week's battle is, you know, is like I said, women's stuff. The week after that is racist stuff. The week after that is, is social stuff, you know, whatever. And uh, just constant, 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 push, 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 push. And man, his explanation is really well. Rule number 11. If you push a negative hard enough and deep enough, it will break through to its counterside. Now, what they mean by that is you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and eventually you may win sympathy from the public at large, or you may push your opponent into overreacting, which can earn you sympathy from the public at large. Damn it. See, when we talked earlier, as the... You know that goes with the make your enemy live, you get make your opponent live up to his standards, right? You keep pushing, you keep pushing, right? So you're there in somebody in somebody's face, and then the people, you know, the you know, let's use the modern, let's use the present lingo right now, just so we can understand what he's saying and what's going on. You get in the Trump supporters' face, you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and then when he hits you to defend himself, when he hits you because they're because he's surrounded, when they defend themselves or whatever, the video gets put out, and oh look. This protester got beat up by the supporter, and then the message gets pushed, and then you get sympathy for your cause. Wow, these guys. Solinsky, I'll tell you what, man. Rule number 12. The price of a successful attack is having a constructive alternative. That is, you have to have a demand. You have to have a solution. Because you may have your opponent simply cave in. This is especially true in legislative battles or demands for public policy changes. So you need to have a demand. So if they cave, you can tell them what you want. I think um, something to add to that is, um, you know, on the ground now. So these now there's a confluence of uh, of uh, of different things happening. Because in, in the government, you have leftists, right? You have radicals, you have communists doing what they do in government. But then on the ground level, on the streets and the groups and the communities, you have other groups doing other things that they do. Now, they all come from the same seed. They're all, 
they are all spawns of the same seed of, of Saul Alinsky. They're all spawns of the same seeds of Marxism. Este, but, see, what I see when I step back and I'm looking at the whole thing is, is um, now they are mixed in with anarchists who don't have that alternative plan that he was talking about. So there is no, here's my demand. Their demand is anarchy. And so the BLM type movement, right, has certain demands about racism or whatever. The Antifa movement has don't have no demands because they're about they're about um, uh, anarchy, you know. And those two groups have merged, right? Somewhat, they're all sort of the same part of the same movement, you know what I'm saying? As them, and uh, so so they're they're pure. Let's say if we look at it from the pure ideolo ideological sense, as the <clears throat> they're poisoning their own ideology by 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 grouping in with the anarchists because because Alinsky wasn't an anarchist he's a communist you know he wants to take they, he want this plan is to this is how we're going to take the reins of of power and the way we're going to change america right through his you know that was his thing you know his thing was an anarchy his thing was let's change america by by this process by changing people's minds by being part of this but 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 some of that shit was underhanded you know bullying stores and uh, and and shaking stores down and, and and companies and banks like all that shit's legit i'm not making shit up it's all on you could find it you could find it so i'm not making shit up step you know what i'm saying but his thing is any means necessary to get control of the leave the powers of the levers of power right to change the system Anarchists want to change the system by destroying the system. And those two things cannot work together. A house divided cannot stand. That shit works for them too. You know? Alright. Rule number 13. And this is the favorite of the left. We see it in every campaign. We see it on MSNBC regularly. Pick the target. Freeze it. Personalize it. Polarize it. They pick their targets on the right and they try to make these people radioactive, hurling the epithet racist at anybody and everybody they want to make these people untouchable. That is their favorite. Leadership Institute, thank you guys. As that, so <clears throat> that last one, of course, we, it, that kind of goes back to the other one. Uh, see, a couple of these are kind of like... Um, redundant but more like you know pointed to a specific because like that one makes it in with the other one with the ridicule one you know because the target you 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 know you personalize it you you know you focus in your lasers on it whatever that target is whether it's a store a bank a politician a whatever right and then you know like he said you use those words in the nazis and all that what did these kgb guys say what did what did the KGB guy say? You gotta you gotta demoralize people and you gotta call them this and that when you you know when you uh, uh, lose an argument. Remember, that was the communist guy, the KGB guy in 1984 talking about the stuff. Remember, remember the conspiracy theory. So in 1984, he was verifying what Saul Alinsky was talking about in his rules for radicals. Right and remember, Solidinsky been been organizing stuff since nineteen uh, what was it thirty eight 
you know, for a long time. Now, this guy was a studied guy, you know, um, as far as like his connections to, I didn't dig that deep as far as his connections to Marxist, you know, to the Soviet Union or to KGB or anything like that. I don't know. I didn't dig that deep. But I mean, his ideology speaks for itself as far as what it is, you know, what, what it is that he was doing. The, and this Rules for Radical, you know, was pushed out in the 70s. He wrote it in 71, was pushed out through the 70s and 80s. You know, college students, professors, all kinds of people, people who grew, who, who grew up, you know, reading this and, or studying this in college or whatever. You know, this is, this is um, something, an ideology that has been, has been pushed since the 70s once this book came out but it has been pushed since before that through his community organizing this guy right here the Solodinsky guy the rules for radicals guy but see remember his he's the tactician he's the coach on how we're gonna win this Super Bowl you know he's the coach that says how we're gonna get there but then along the way of course but Marx is the is the you know that's where the ideology comes from so that's the starting point he's just like the badass coach that did, that found the way the plan that how we're going to do this and he started teaching his students you know young generation in the 60s in the 70s you know now not to get all you know never mind all that shit but you know we're we talk history here you know so like um the hillary clinton was one of his students and, you know, she added a little tip to his rules, which wasn't like they didn't edit it and added. But she she gave him the idea of, hey, why don't, you know, because people were all hippies and shit, you know, because uh, he, he, he told he told the hippies, hey, cut your hair, fucking educate yourself, get a job, become a doctor, become a lawyer. We need to we need to make we need to put ourselves into these institutions if we want to do what we're trying to do here, you know, because how are we going to. Take control of the levers if we're not doctors, if we're not lawyers, if we're not politicians, if we're not mayors, if we're not influential people in the media, in Hollywood. He told them, we need to change our shit. But, you know, some digging, people dug up and think and say that it was actually Hillary's idea. He, she passed it on to him. This is what we should do. Because she was a student at that time. Which is very tactical. Dude, we're about tactics and we're about all of this. If, you know, Art of War, if you love the Art of War, you gotta... I mean, look, I'm a conservative, you know? I'm a conservative. I love liberty and everything. But as a, as a lover of history, as a lover of tactics, as a lover of, of truth, I see his tactics and man, this is like Bill Belichick. Like, <laughs> my bad dude. Y'all know I don't know sports, right? But I think the name Bill Belichick is somebody like with a bunch of Super Bowl rings. And I hope so, because that's the fucking name that it, that's the only name I can think of, you know, with like a fuck ton of Super Bowls. It's the, like, that's, that's the playbook. So when I, when I look at these rules, I'm like, God damn, this dude was good. Like, yeah, this, this is, this dude was good, you know? So, so, you know, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so students in the 70s and through the 60s um you know a generation hippie generation whatever 
were were molded and were taught of on were raised on these rules for radical type thing, and they became leaders in society. They became you know um, pe prominent people in society, and and they doing what they do, whatever. But but see, raised on this idea of how we're gonna take over and how we're gonna take the levers or whatever the fuck, right? And you can see the tactics. How do we know? Like, okay, all right, you're just assuming. No, I'm not assuming. What I'm saying is when you hear politicians, actors, whatever, use these tactics, I mean, it's like, dude, you know, you already know, oh, shit, he's, they're one of them. Why? Because I can see that tactic that he's using. Look, he's starting to call people racist or whatever, right? So then, so see, if we know the rule, if we know, bro, I have always told y'all, Educate yourself. Why? Because the more you know, the more you can see. If I know their playbook, if the team that you're playing on, the Cowboys or whatever, got the playbook of the Giants or whatever, and you look at their plays and you know their plays, you could you 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 have a better chance of beating them on the field. That's what the that's what um, the art of war says. Sun Tzu says, get spies because information is in is important. You need to know what's going on over there. And the more information, the better information you can get, the better. Right? Information is key. You know? Now, I don't know. This book was published. This book was passed around. I don't know if it was at the stores or what. Maybe they, it was underground for a long time or something. Because, you know, if you're a tactician, you would say, well, we don't want, we want to guard these rules. We don't want our enemy to know our rules. So, I'm assuming, I didn't look into it. I'm assuming they were, you know, kind of Hush, hush. You know, they kept it, they kept it on the down low or something. Because look, now we know their rules. And now, me, me, I know their rules. So, when I hear a politician, when I hear them speak a certain way, I'm like, ah, Alinsky, right there, boom. So I know where they're coming from. All right? <sighs> Sorry. But... When we look at the tactics and what it's supposed to lead to, right? Total control of all the levers, right? Hence, uh, socialism, communism, right? What they said earlier is the, lever, control, the government controlling all the levers of production and society. Telling you where you're going to work. Telling you how much you're going to have. Telling you where you're going to live. Total power. Remember earlier, more power, more power, more power until there's total power. So when we look at Alinsky's plan is how are we going to win total power? Well, we're going to follow these rules to get total power. Now remember the conspiracy theory was, hey, the communist takeover of America by sending in people and, influ and influencing people and whatever and whatever. And like we went over all these uh, the examples of rules and examples of what the KGB guy said and examples of what the author said back in 1969. And we looked at... Um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover and uh, Marcus Garvey, him looking into Marcus Garvey, we looked at the McCarthyism and see what was going on with McCarthyism, right? Over the over the polls, basically the majority of the 19th century, wait, 20th century. No, it wasn't even the majority because look, 24 to 84, let's say 24 to 84, that's 60 years. So for 60 years, you know, let's just put it in that little time frame. For 60 years, they've been, the theory has been out there. 
even longer. My bad. See, I'm a little confused. But it started long ago. And not even the theory itself. History has shown us, because J. Edgar Hoover was chasing Marcus Garvey and them, thinking that they were communists, right? And then when you, when you look into the movement itself, then you can see some of these seeds. These seeds of what we're looking at in, that, 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 that happened with Alinsky. And what we're seeing, the seeds that lead to what are happening now, right? When we look at the TV, when we hear politicians talk, you know, about... And, if we, and we can see the rules. And then what the KGB guys said and what they were supposed to do and, uh, from within. And the poison comes from within. And this and this and that. Like... Okay, 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 okay. So, so, let's circle back to the beginning. Let's circle back to the beginning. This quote-unquote conspiracy theory of, of and, and remember, I didn't even start off as a conspiracy theory. The movie, Salt, and the show, The Americans, and then the author who talks about it, and they labeled him a conspiracy theorist because he's saying this, this, and that. So we went back. We circled all the way back to the turn of the century, to the, um, to, to the turn of the 20th century, right? To see what was going on, early, uh, early 1920s, to get an idea of what was going on. We moved into the, half, to the 50s to get an idea of what was going on with McCarthyism. Why was he chasing communists? Then we look. Okay, 50s, McCarthyism chasing communism, then in the six in sixty nine, this author is saying no, there is some shit going on. And then in eighty four, um, uh, the KGB agent says, yeah, we were in here doing all kinds of shit, and there's people still here doing shit. And then lo and behold, lo and behold, we find out that rules for radicals, right? This guy has been in, and this is just one example because he was the most popular, the most uh, uh, popular, uh, not popular exactly, but the most. Um, you know, he got the job done. But how many people did he train and how many people did they train? All these groups, all these community groups, they're, they're a dime a dozen. They're freaking everywhere. And that's what they are. Earlier, the guy was talking about funding. Where do these groups get so much money to do whatever it is that they're doing? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. But look, I'm just looking at the whole thing. Groups, funding, uh, community organize, organizing, doing this, keeping people ag not agitated but excited and keeping them. But agitation also comes with the whole plan. You got to keep people agitated over here. You got to keep people excited over here. You got to let them do what they like to do. You got to focus on in on your targets, whatever they are. You got to ridicule your targets and call them Nazis and anti-Semites and, uh, and, and, and orange people lovers and, 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 you know, you got to ridicule them. To win an argument. All these things together. Putting them all together in a big pot. And we taste it. Like you're cooking a big stew. Like a, wig, a big witch's brew. You're cooking it. And then you taste it. How does it taste? Does it need a little salt? Does it need a little more mix, mixing? A little more heat? Or does it taste pretty good? Does it taste just right almost? Maybe not just right. But damn close. Damn close. This idea that the Soviet Union sent people in to America a long time ago with the plan to destroy us from within because their original plan, their original plan was world domination, communism throughout the world, uh, the, polo, the, the uh, proletariat ruling and uh, overall, you know, all means of, 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 you know what I'm saying? 
That was their plan. So they implanted people with a plan, with Marx's doctrine and planning them to do this, this and that over here. Maybe not sleeper cells. I don't know. Maybe there are sleeper cells. But this nigga, this nigga Alinsky, you know, and like I said, I ain't connecting him to the Soviet Union or KGB or nothing. But look what he was doing. What he was doing seems pretty close to what this theory was saying they were doing. You know, from within. Now, unfortunately for the Soviet Union, they dissolved in 1991, but their plan was put in action a long time ago. Those seeds were planted a long time ago. Russia is not as powerful as the Soviet Union was. Russia is pretty powerful, but not as powerful as the Soviet Union was. And then again, they portrayed themselves is as if they had more power than we then later on we found out that they didn't have why because of the doctrine right these ideals these methods these tactics soviet uh, communism uh alinsky you know what i'm saying rules for radicals all these things they all taste they all taste the same they all sound the same they all translate the same right so were there implants long ago in America? Long ago by, by communist Soviet infiltrators into America that infiltrated themselves into our schools, into our colleges, into high levels of, of, um, of governance, into Hollywood, people with influence. Any of those people, have you ever heard them and, and, and seen them act and behave and speak the way we went over today, these rules and these things and these tactics? Have you heard or seen any of that recently? I think if you just turn on the TV any given day, if you just look on your feed, if you just go to YouTube any given day, you're going to see it all over the place coming from all kinds of spots, like all kinds of different angles and venues, you know? On YouTube and, and Hollywood and movies, and on your TV and on Twitter and on politicians. You're hearing it from so many different places. You know, like when you plant a, a field of, of corn, you, you, you plant seeds, right? The more seeds you plant, the more yield you're going to get. It takes time. Solinsky has been doing it since 1938 through the 70s. His Teachings lived on through the 80s. Mark Levin said at the Department of Education, they found a storage room with boxes and boxes and boxes of rules for radicals that the government was shipping to public schools in the inner cities. And that was in 1981 when the Reagan administration took over. Now, back to the question. Were there plants in America? Soviet plants? I think the answer is pretty self-explanatory and it's right there in front of y'all, in front of us to see. All right, guys. Woo! Damn, nigga, that was some straight-up spy shit, baby. Oh, man, I loved it. Thank you so much, people. I hope you loved it, too. That's... That was legit. I'm going to put the links to the interviews and to the videos. You're going to love it. Check them out. I got the long video of the Russian guy. You're going to love that. Este, you know what we do here, baby? That's what we do. All right? We're going to keep at it. We're going to keep at it. I love you guys. We're going to just wrap this up. You know, I want to thank you guys for sticking all the way through. I hope you liked this. Uh, today's show, I freaking enjoyed it. 
as they, as always, I, 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 I love doing it, and I thank you for being here and for checking us out. If you are new to the show, please hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends if you enjoyed this episode. Este, I got the email in the description if you want to reach out, all right? And uh, check back on us soon because we put out something maybe every couple days. So uh, check back on us soon. And, uh, yeah, este, please take care of yourself out there. Stay safe. Stay warm wherever you are. And uh, keep at it. And we will see each other soon, okay? All right, guys. I love you guys. And I uh, that's it. Peace out. This is Thesis.